suit up, strap in, warm the tires, and leave on yellow. Time for the Mitsu Times podcast, presented by MitsuTimes.org, the home of the fastest Mitsubishi cars. With your host, Josh. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Josh with the Mitsu Times podcast. Today, my guest is Andre Geisler. He is the owner and driver of one of the sickest 3000 GTs uh, on this planet. How are you doing today, Andre? I'm very good, thank you. I'm great. I am so glad that uh, we get a chance to do this because I've I feel like I've been seeing your car everywhere over the years and uh, you know something about those uh, side exhaust pipes just uh, looks so good on that car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I did that primarily for weight reduction but um uh, now we're down to just the one single side exit which is uh, 5 inch which is rather nice. Heck yeah. I bet it sounds great. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty loud. <laughs> so why don't you tell us about the setup on the car? Okay, um, the current setup, or the one that we're, we're working with now, is quite different from how it was before. <clears throat> um, we went with a four-litre stroker, uh, custom stroker oh, from wow. Ray Pina, um in a 74 block. It's got 72 heads. Um, it's got my custom cams up top. It's uh, uh, got some modified um, dynamic racing, 72 heads uh, with the custom valve job, not not the usual oversize. Um, obviously a spring kit. It's uh, I've, I've got a couple of sets of those heads. I've got some that are pinned and some that are not. And I run the pyramid ring set up uh, for head sealing uh, with the A1 head studs clamps it uh, since figuring the system out it's it's never pushed coolant not once oh wow uh, so i'm really happy with that top end um i had uh, some custom exhaust uh and header work done uh in the uk um by a company called uh, zero exhaust they did a really nice job um and uh, we've mated that uh with a precision um 91 mil pro mod um gen 2 turbo and uh, the capability for a 250 nitrous uh, <laughs> shot as well to help spool things up um my car's been through multiple builds over the years and uh, uh we we did originally try to go auto with it um unfortunately the converter was it, it just couldn't take the torque and, and we pushed oh. through it we cooked everything in a brand new box and, and um so now we're in the midst of uh, changing back to my dog box which i've had for a number of years and it's it certainly uh worked well for you getting into the mid nines i mean that's incredible it's never performed according to its capability. Um, some may say that's the driver mod. Um, I always struggled getting it off the line, and, and I lost a bunch of time on that and the gear shifts. Um, so that's what we're working on right now, is is how to get it off the line and, and how to optimize the gear shifts. Okay. I mean, it, it's it's crazy, Andre, because you seem to be really the only one still uh, with the V6 and the platform uh, still really pushing it. And, and, you know, to be within the top 10 
uh, 3,000 GTs of all time. That that is really amazing. I think there's still work to do with the V6. Um, I think there are some really nice builds coming through. Um, the 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 passion seems to be reignited. The mindset seems to have opened up a bit. <clears throat> Relocation um, and, and change in orientation of of the motor is no longer a taboo. I, I think there's some really exciting times ahead for that V6, good. and it is, in my opinion, a really good motor. For sure. So. Andre, I'm just so curious of, as to what it was that drew you to the 3000 GT in the first place. Uh, originally, um, I saw a 3000 GT, and it was the, the UK 3000 GT. Um, this has been hotly debated, but I know uh, what I actually sat in. I went to the motor, motor show in the UK at the launch and it was 1990 i know it was 1990 because um they were also uh demoing the renault 5 turbo uh and and i remember the registration plate at the time so i know the year and they had on show a normally aspirated 3000 gt uh which didn't actually launch in the UK until a year later, but they had it at the motor show and I sat in it. And I looked at the stats and I wasn't particularly impressed by the numbers, <clears throat> especially when I went and sat in the NS NSX, which was also at the show and, and absolutely loved that. But then years later, I was following one down the road and it was the twin turbo with the active aero and it caught my eye. And then I started looking at the body shape and, and the body shape really started to excite me. And then I looked at the, the stats, six speed, saw the active aero, the all wheel steering, all the bells and whistles just really attracted me. A lovely looking car and it had power. Um, and, you know, 300 horsepower to me back then was a lot. Yeah. And when, when I went uh, to look at one, and the guy let me drive it, it was like, well, I've got to have this car. That's great. It was as simple as that. So you bought it straight off the uh, the dealer floor then, huh? No, no, I bought it uh, used okay. um, from a, a company director, and uh, he imported the vehicle as, a, uh, as an 18-month-old car. And I bought it from him. He'd had it for six years, sole, sole owner in the UK. Uh, so I bought it at seven and a half years old. Okay. So was there any uh, modifications done to the car when you bought it, or was it just uh, pretty much a stock car? It was pretty much a stock car. He had an HKS blow-off valve on it um, from factory. It was fitted with the NK um, optional wheels. Okay. And that was it wow so you had a you had a very good starting point then yeah i did um i didn't have the best advice uh when i did get it um i was advised to take out one of these aftermarket warranties oh. which i quickly learned was was not worth the paper it was written on <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah um so i left the car untouched for a full two years because I was told it would void that aftermarket warranty. Well, there was no need in waiting, really, because it wasn't worth anything. Wow. So, did you have any goals when, when you 
bought the car? Did you already know that you wanted to uh, make it into a drag car, or did you just want to, uh, you know, make it a little bit faster and and drive it like that? That's a really interesting question because I had no goals for modification at all, and. I was enjoying the car for what it was, how it looked, how it drove, the power it had. And I went to a little gathering about 15, 20 miles from home. And I met some of the other guys there. One of the guys, uh, his his car was, um, it was the quickest in the UK at the time. Oh, wow. It had run a 12.01. Uh, in the quarter um, it was still a TBO4 car but what amazed me was people were struggling to get past the magic 500 horsepower and so I started reading up on it and I thought this can't be that difficult and so that's when my goal my first goal was was launched uh, get a car over uh, 500 horsepower and um, in doing so, I, I found out about dyno numbers aren't necessarily um, comparable between different dynos right. and, and whatever. And the only true measure is terminal speed on a quarter mile for a given weight. Um, so I, I went to this uh, guy called Mark Sheed of MA Developments in the UK, uh, who had built a 200 mile an hour Sierra Cosworth with a, a two liter and and um it had been televised and the guy had a really good reputation for tuning <clears throat> and it took me 18 months of working on this guy to get him to work on my car because he'd been taken a 3000 gt by somebody who had uh, basically tied it together with bits of string oh, it was wow. awful yeah, and uh, so he said never again. But I, I finally convinced him to work on my car, and, and he said, look, go stand alone. And he said, I do the Autronics ECU, I bring them into the country, it's a fantastic piece of kit. And so uh, despite the UK mentality at the time, which was all piggybacks, I went with a standalone. Um, I prefer to start with a blank sheet of paper and tell the car what I want it to do right. rather than try and fool it and confuse it into doing something that it, it's not really doing. <laughs> and um, so Mark gave me the car back um, with 400, and, I think it was 470 horsepower um, because the wastegates were blowing open at 1.4 bar and, and we'd gone with 15 Gs. It was nothing crazy. And uh, he said, see how you get on, get used to it, bring it back when you want a bit more. Oh, by the way, we'll need some extra cooling and we'll need some, uh, need some better wastegates. So I, I drove it around a little while on the, on the 470 and then uh, took it back to him and said, yeah, okay, I'm ready for more. Uh, it was only uh, four months or something. It wasn't very long. And um, so we then stuck it on, on the dyno and the thing knocked out uh, 535 horsepower and wow. 620 foot pounds of torque um which uh, you know in the uk just obliterated everything that was tdo4 at the time and uh, it was i think it was january and so i took it the following week to uh santa pod and i, I immediately bashed out an 11.4 at 122 which <laughs> is, like, destroyed everything I'd never done a drag race in my life. So uh, the, that, that was uh, really where the bug bit me, I think. 
That's awesome. And it's just been uh, downhill from there, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just been um, <clears throat> a very expensive exercise ever since. <laughs> and uh, um, when, once I'd done the uh, <clears throat> the the TDO four UK, I then started looking at the times that were being um, knocked out across the world. And I went through several TDO four builds. Um, when I say builds the motor was always stopped the transmission was always pretty much untouched apart from maybe a bell housing brace mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, I bought some DR650s which I got to enjoy precisely for 48 hours <laughs> um, because we, we, we tuned these things and, and the car was pulling hard and uh, on day two um, the compressor nut came off oh, on wow. one of them yeah so uh, they they were used they weren't uh, they weren't new i oh. should add <clears throat> and um after that i think uh, i think that's when i put my dr750s on um which were new we went to 10 of the best and and uh, banged out a 10 second quarter um which uh, and that was a, a completely full weight car wow. um with with no um, modifications other than um, a fuel delivery and, and air delivery and a front mount intercooler. Um, so that, that was quite satisfying. Um, and after that, uh, the only way uh, was was to go bigger, although I did put some billet 19Ts on it at one point um, with a stock 3-litre uh, engine. And uh, we had some had some good fun with that, um, all, albeit we were in a very much lightened car. Oh, that's amazing. So it was the 750s that broke you into the 10s for the first time? Yeah, that's right. The, the, these were the, the 750 uh, first gen okay. turbos, the, the, the 11 blade model. I, I believe they're, they're, they're a bit more potent now. Do you recall what what setup it was that broke you into the nines for the first time? Your first nine second pass. Yeah, um, I'd bought the uh, Matt Monet short block. Okay. Um, the three point five four um, Merkel stroke crank setup. Um, I I had his uh, what I I termed as the DR fourteen hundreds. They they were actually uh, the billet thirteen hundreds, um, but it, just as a bit of a tongue in cheek thing, we joked about them being DR fourteen hundreds. So it, it it was really that that motor and and turbo combination. I didn't have any meth. I didn't have any NOS or anything uh, like that on there. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I ran a nine eight three at one. 53 or something on concrete wow so not even a prep surface oh that was straight tires as well wow what a machine yeah it was, it was a lot heavier then um i think uh i think we were around about three and a half thousand pounds at the time because what i'd done i'd had the uh bodywork extended all around the wheel arches I had three inches wider on each corner, um, so so that I could fit three one five tires oh, all around okay. on ten and a half inch rims, um, and they did a really uh, clever job. They uh, tack welded some 
steel rods to the the wheel arches and tapered them in front and back and then overlaid with cardboard cut out a sheet and tack welded that on um and then they took all all the fenders off and they removed the old wings from behind so it was like it came out of factory with the, with that wide arch kit on it yeah um, but it was all metal the car was all metal that's amazing yeah i'm just going back and looking at your pictures of of you know checking out the the wheel arches and, and it looks like it's from the factory just like you said that's amazing yeah, I, I was pretty pleased with what the, the body shop did with that. Um, obviously, since then they've uh, uh, they've been replicated in uh, carbon Kevlar honeycomb, so it's a lot, lot lighter. Wow! How much does the car weigh now? The last time we weighed it, it had the auto box in, which I believe is heavier than uh, the dog box setup that we're putting in, and it weighed. 1170 kilograms or just a touch over 2500 pounds then wow That's and we don't have any tube frame we're not going tube frame the reason that held me back from tube frame um was the series i was competing in at, at the time it would have moved me from street class into pro class and oh, i didn't okay. want to do it. yeah that's a good reason not to do it so, Andre, yeah. like, like you were saying, it, it's become a very expensive endeavor over the years. Do you think, uh, you know, going back all those years that you would still do it all over again? I would do it all over again. I was, I was fortunate with my business um, back when I started getting serious um, that it wasn't so much of an issue to do it. I, I, was, I was quite financially fortunate. Um, so I would do it all over again. However, I would do it differently. Okay. The reason I say I would do it differently is my car has often been termed as a compromise car since day one. Because one of the things I've, I've insisted upon is that it remains street legal throughout its life. Mm -hmm. I want to use this on the streets. And so it's never been a totally dedicated track car. Um, I would still keep that that street um, street use as something I want, but I think I would have got more serious with the build and not have tried to keep as many creature comforts. For example, um, I I really had to get caged to eight point five seconds. Um, I didn't like the idea of a, a door bar being down there. Right. I subsequently right. had it recaged to a 7.5, which has a crossbar. Um, I think knowing now that I would end up there, I would have gone straight for the 7.5 cage because it cost me a lot of money to go from an 8.5 to a 7.5. Okay. It cost me uh, somewhere around about £11,000. Wow. That is a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so other other things, I think I, uh, from what I'm learning about this single turbo setup, everything's pointing towards it being a route I would take now if I could walk walk the same path. I would have taken a long, long time ago, um, because I, I just like the way the cars turned out. We're not constantly battling for space by the firewall and things like this and, and cooling issues mm -hmm. up front. Um, I, 
I think it's a route I would have uh, I would have preferred to have gone initially. Okay, go single turbo sooner. Yeah. Okay. But time will tell. So, Andre, what is it that that keeps that motivates you to keep pushing this car? Uh, you know, when, like you said, it, it's still street legal and and everything else, you could easily you know, buy another shell and, and make a dedicated race car, but you keep pushing this one. What is it about this car that, that keeps you going? It's a very good question. I think it's just I feel there's unfinished business. There's there's just that, look, we can get this right. We can get its its maximum potential. And to to walk away from that would feel like I hadn't fulfilled the journey. That makes sense. I mean, that, it's crazy sense. <laughs> it's crazy sense. I mean, it is crazy, but it's it's the the drag racing mentality. I mean, that's just it, it's what it is. Yeah, I, I do enjoy uh, the drag racing mentality. We've got a, a new track or two that are um, starting to come forward in the uk here so uh spitfire down in devon is uh, attracting my attention then we've got the brighton speed trials um they they could be a little bit of fun i i wish we had more tracks i wish we had right. better prep and uh, there was some time some talk some time ago um among a couple of the guys saying oh you should bring it out here to national gathering or mir uh, import versus domestic or whatever i said yeah but the shipping costs and i said well you know let's get a gofundme going or something <laughs> and we'll get your car out here and <laughs> that, that would be a lot of fun but i don't know if that will ever happen I, and it's it's been a while since we've seen a 3000 gt at, at world cup finals at mir I'd love to. I'd love to put it in. I really would. If we get this set up right, I would love to bring it over. But it does come down. The cost would be um, significant. Right. That's. You know, they, I, last year I went and they were talking about people coming from South Africa and all kinds of stuff. And that's the first thing that popped in my head was, "Wow, that must have cost so much money." Yeah, well, um, we we get people coming over to the UK from Malta. Justin Ladmu, he's he's got a an old Ford Escort Mark II. I think he's got a rotary engine in it, and he comes over to the UK to race. And I I sit there and I wonder about the cost, of, uh, what it must cost them to do that. Right. But then, if you can make this whole thing a a world competition, wow. What a competition that would be! Right, for sure. I think that would be really exciting, and all, it, surely it must um, it must appeal to uh, vendors as well. Yeah, I mean, we certainly see uh, you know uh, the big companies traveling all over and, and you know making sure everyone has the parts that they're looking for for their platforms that you know maybe the rest of the world doesn't get. So. Yeah, I think there's there's certainly some something to what you're saying. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I watch some of the support that goes on, obviously, uh, uh, from a distance, and I'm just in awe of how supportive these guys are. We don't tend to get quite as much um, 
support in the UK because it's not such a big sport in the UK. Um, the, the sponsors that I have been lucky enough to be supported by have always been extremely supportive and helpful wherever they can. But it's not the same as somebody turning up to the trackside with uh, a new axle because he's broken an axle, for example, right. and, and you've got a race tomorrow. Right. It's not on the same level. This episode of the Mitsu Times podcast is brought to you by Exigent Solutions. Exigent Solutions provides custom tools, parts, and accessories for the motorsports industry. Based in Cincinnati, Ohio, their services include CNC machining, mechanical design, rapid prototyping, and engine assembly. They are best known for their record-setting 4B11 builds. They have the parts and expertise to get your car up our list. Check out all their products and services at Exigent solutions.com Andre do you have any goals for uh, this year that that you want to get accomplished with the car is it just the uh, to get the manual swap and to uh, you know get that working smooth um, well I do have some goals um, they're not huge um, yes it is to swap the manual and we were originally going to put the synchro box in and I was going to going to enjoy it for a year but then decided to go with the dog box <clears throat> which involved um, uh, sourcing a strain gauge. Um, we found out that the, the clutch was uh, no longer good, so we've had to uh, look at a custom clutch um, that will hold the torque, because with the 4 litre 74, first thing it wants to make is a bunch of torque, <laughs> more than we've ever had. Um, and so we're going to have to torque limit through the ECU, but... Likewise, we need a, a, a better clutch setup, um, which has involved uh, going bigger on uh, in diameter. I had previously gone smaller, but going bigger. Um, new flywheel. Um, uh, the car had been stood for a while, so we've we've had some issues with uh, having to replace injectors and, and right. battery and things like that. Unbudgeted expenses. Um, but once we've got uh, this in, we're also going to look at some kind of... Uh, launch assistant and nitrous is new to me so uh, getting that in and getting that working um, we'll probably uh, look to temper the tune um, I don't know maybe uh, 12 1300 horsepower get used to it um, optimize the launch uh, and uh, when we're happy with that we'll turn it up a bit um, it would be nice to uh, get below uh, an eight and a half second. Um, and I believe, uh, well, everything's indicating that with the setup we've got, um, it's got the potential to go 7.5 or quicker. Um, and uh, 180, 190 and a quarter. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's got it all there. It's whether we can extract it. It's whether we can get the setup right. And ultimately an ultimate goal of mine um is is to get it onto a pneumatic paddle shift um from uh yeah uh, from the dog box uh, we we've got an h pattern um to sequential converter on on the dog box um so it would purely be a case of engaging with this company that i've identified um to uh, have some pneumatic shifters instead of cables and h pattern sequential um and and uh it's all possible it's 
all money and um, the company at the moment aren't taking on new work so it's about staying in touch and, and, oh. and seeing if we can get that to come about but yeah that would be awesome yeah that would especially pioneering uh, you know a whole new system for this car that maybe uh, can propel others to even go faster that's amazing yeah 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 absolutely I think it's all all about um, finding new ways and and uh, sharing the knowledge and information. So, Andre, do you have a a number in your head that is your ultimate quarter mile goal? I I'm cautious when I answer this question because everyone has a dream and everyone has a realistic. Um, figure in mind and my dream would be to go below 7.5 and to be in the 190s that would be my dream whether we achieve it or not uh, we'll have to wait and see Um, I think this year we could certainly go somewhere between 8.5 and low 8s so long as we, we do get the car back and, and set up during the season. Mm-hmm. Now that's that's a big if because, like I say, there's a lot of expense going on with this, and I've got a lot going on in my personal life that uh, is slowing things down right. because we're working for the future. Um, it's it's not all about the car; it's about gearing ourselves up for the future. Um, if we can get that bit sorted, then the car may well hit the tracks um this summer and we i'm with a good good shot right now they they do understand how to get these cars going well on track so i have got fairly high hopes i was gonna say eight five that'll put you as the quickest uh six cylinder three thousand gt yeah i don't see any reason why we can't when you work out the power to rate if we're to wait if we're uh, weighing in about 2500 pounds plus driver um and um <clears throat> this this car on pump gas at wastegate pressure without optimizing because we overpowered the dyno with with torque um it was making around about a thousand horsepower at wastegate um so to get 1200 out of it it's not going to be that difficult. Right. It's really not. And if you put 1,200 horsepower through a, a 2,500-pound car, you're there. You're, you're in that zone. That's, yep, that stands to reason for sure. And that's without the nitrous. The nitrous hopefully will help get us off the line, which was uh, probably my, my biggest loss of time. Gotcha. So you, you already talked about it a little bit, Andre, but I wanted to um... – See if there are there any other off-season upgrades uh, besides the the dog box and the slipper gauge, or is there anything else that um, that you plan to add in the off-season to help you out this season? Um, no, not really. Like I said about the uh, the pneumatic paddle shift, um, I think that's something for for the future. Um, we will we'll do a tune. <clears throat> find out where the the uh where the car is happy um and and content without the without pushing it but still making good numbers um there is a particular 
development um, that I will be working on. I've got this thing called a, a rattler uh, in, as, instead of a damper on the nose of the crank. Okay. And some of the guys out there know that I do this thing, and <clears throat> I'm, I'm hopefully going to be putting a group by together with an improved version. And the improved version is going to have a, a trigger wheel and timing marks on it, and we're working on a bracket for a Hall Effect sensor to pick up on the trigger wheel. Wow. Um, plus, plus, we're going to have it pre-drilled for a dry sump pulley as well. Um, so hopefully that's coming and, and fairly soon. But with the bigger talk, I, I was speaking with um, Steve of Vibration Free about this um, only a couple of days ago, actually, and I spoke to him again yesterday. When you get to the bigger talk numbers, um, there's a further improvement that you can make on a, a product that's exclusive to them, which is you have a Rattler. Are you familiar with Rattler, by the way? I, I've heard of them before. I, I'm not uh, familiar with how they work now. Okay, well, the, the Rattler is a series of counterbalance weights um, built in uh, to the pulley. And um, what they do is they counteract torsional vibration rather than damping it. Okay. So uh, the, these weights move within a pocket. And the minute that a vibration occurs, the weights will move to exactly neutralize that vibration. Wow. They'll move to a balance point, and it's it's a pretty pretty dynamic. It's it's going the whole time. But you what you hear a click when you first start it, if you haven't got too loud a motor, um, but then you don't hear the thing again. Huh. Now, when you get to a certain level of torque, um, damping or neutralizing one end of the crank, you know, it reaches a limit. So what I'm I'm looking at with Steve is putting a rattler in the flywheel as well. Oh, okay. So you're actually be neutralizing both ends of the crank. We're lucky because we've got a fairly short and stout crank, um, and and some of these uh, straight sixes they they need it more. Um, but with the levels of torque that we produce, we knock the straight sixes into out of the ballpark. So. <laughs> That's when it becomes a problem for us. So Steve has been talking to me, to me about maybe getting one of these Rattler flywheels made for, uh, for the platform. Um, so that's, that's a potential development in the future. Yeah, that's really exciting. So Andre, I wanted, cool. <laughs> you've had uh, years and years of experience with this platform. I wanted to get your uh, insight for anyone who's who's looking to either build their car or someone who's in the process of building their 3000 GT, what advice would you give them from all the things that you've learned over the years to help them out on their build? I would say the biggest piece of advice is be clear in your mind where you want to end up. Because I wasted a lot of money doing compromised builds um dream big don't have too many fixed ideas be willing to compromise the only fixed idea i would retain now compared with at the beginning is that i want to use it on the street everything else i was quite resistant to um i would also say look at people 
carefully and and the path they've trodden talk to people get information and learn from their experiences i i walked a path that was not well trodden there's a wealth of experience out there now tap into it definitely yeah i mean you're you're in a path right now that uh, very very few have set foot in so yeah i like to think um if I can, I like to think outside the box. I like to think of different solutions. And I'm one of the guys that likes to figure out a problem. Um, it, it comes with great expense, but uh, it's fun. And it's very rewarding, too. Right, right. So is there any events that, um, you know, like you said, all the stars align and the car gets together in time uh, before the end of the season? Is there any events or, or maybe one event that you're shooting for uh, for this year to make it to? Uh, if I could get it together in time for a, a, an event called Ten of the Best in the UK, um, I would be very happy about that. Okay. Uh, it's run, run in Elvington Aerodrome, uh, which is uh, above York in Yorkshire. Um, it's, the, it's the same one that's run on concrete, and it's run over an entire weekend where they have a little gymkhana or, or handling track they have uh, a quarter mile uh, run and uh, they have a flying kilometer as well huh. um, <clears throat> yeah so that that could be quite fun because you do get some good times on on the drags and uh, with the auto I was never going to be able to compete for the um, flying kilometer because I would have had to have revved too high um, to achieve the speed that I think is capable with this car um, whereas with the dog box, no, there's, there's, there's plenty of room in the gearing <laughs> not to rev too high and, and certainly get a, a, above 200. Well, good. Hopefully uh, you can get it all together and, and get it out there, and that'd be a great way to, to break back in, especially that, that new Ford leader you put together. Yeah, it's, it's the last weekend in July, so it may be possible. So, Andre, what social medias can people uh, either keep track of your build or, or check it out more and uh, maybe reach out to you and ask some questions? I'm not the, the best at marketing, shall we say. I do have a YouTube channel, which is purely my name. Um, there's, it's not regularly updated, but there, there is some stuff on there. Um, again, I'm on Facebook. I'm a member of uh, quite a few of the 3000 GT uh, uh, groups on there. Um, I think I'm a member of the uh, the the 4A33, the the auto group, and and a couple of others, uh, uh, drag racers UK, and things like this. So I'm on various groups in in um, on on Facebook, uh, and uh, if I get a, a, a friend's request. Uh, I, I normally just look at the profile, and if if it's a car guy, yeah, I'll I'll add them, and that way they they can they can chat to me, they can uh, have a look around and and see if there's anything going on with my car. Um, that's probably the best way, um, and I like to think that I, I'm approachable. I don't uh, don't often not talk to people. If if they if they approach me, if they message me, then yeah, I'll have a chat. There you go. Nothing like uh, picking the picking the brain of, of someone who's been doing it for a long time. That's that's the way to 
just like you were saying in your advice, that's the way to, to get your car up there. Yeah, and I don't keep secrets. There you go. All right, finally, Andre, I always give people a chance to uh, give a thank you or a shout-out to anyone who's helped them out along the way. Is there anybody that you want to give a thank you to? Yeah, I'd like to give a, a thank you to companies that have helped me with pricing. They've helped me with support and advice along the way. Uh, I'd like to thank Fuel Lab, who have been excellent throughout, um, as have Precision Turbo and Engine. Um, some of the smaller companies that are, have helped uh, me along the, the journey really deserve a, a big thank you too, such as Chris from Arvenge Performance and uh, the brake man helping me lose some weight out of the car um, and uh, suspension company Teen who helped me revalve and respring uh, their, their shock absorbers to what I actually needed, not what you could necessarily buy off the shelf. Awesome. Wizards of NOS have uh, helped me on, to start my journey of using nitrous uh, to help spool a bigger turbo. Uh, so thank you to them. Magnus Motorsports, hopefully helping me get off the line a bit better, uh, have offered me some financial support as well. And uh, finally, on to uh, the guys that made it happen. Um, I'd like to say a big thank you to Brent at SMD, uh, who have now become engine tuner at Brighton. The build quality is something you've really got to see in person to believe. It is exceptional. And the whole thing is brought together by uh, a guy who's now my friend and has, is the only guy who's ever tuned my car, a guy called Mark Sheed from MA Developments. So thank you. All right, Andre, thank you so much for coming on here. I, I'm glad that people get to hear your story and to be able to uh... – you know, follow your build more. I think your car is, is interesting because you're not only one of the only ones, if not the only one right now, pushing the six-cylinder in a 3000 GT, but also it just it's a different-looking car compared to the other drag 3000 GTs you see, and it looks so cool. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, sir. I hope to uh, see an update from you soon. Yeah. Good, and, and, and stay safe. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for listening to the Mitsu Times podcast. Check out our Instagram and Facebook for daily updates. Get added to our list by going to mitsutimes.org and clicking Submit a Slip. Thank you to all of our sponsors.